The Kakadu Plum is an Australian native superfood containing 100 times more vitamin C than oranges. So why have you never heard of it? PR. No one's drinking a Kakadu smoothie? I'm JB Smooth, and that was a full episode of my new podcast, Straightforward. Inspired by guaranteed straightforward pricing from AT&T Fiber. Get what you want without the complicated. AT&T Fiber, live like a gagillionaire. Available wherever you get your podcast. Limited availability in select areas. Visit att.com slash hypergig for details. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. This episode is brought to you by Navy Federal Credit Union. At Navy Federal, it's been the mission to help the military community for over 90 years. And not just help them, but do everything to make sure they not only grow, but flourish. That's why Navy Federal Credit Union has all kinds of great savings and investment options, like share certificates with sky-high rates. So don't hesitate. Start growing your finances today with a variety of savings and investment options. Navy Federal Credit Union. Our members are the mission. Savings products insured by NCUA. Investment products are not insured. Not obligations of Navy Federal and may lose value. This Day in History class is a production of iHeartRadio. Hello and welcome to This Day in History class, a show that shines a light on the ups and downs of everyday history. I'm Gabe Blousier, and in this episode, we're talking about the day when the dreaded Cat of Nine Tales was finally put to sleep. As a warning, today's episode features descriptions of corporal punishment, which some listeners may find disturbing. The day was September 28, 1850. An act of Congress outlawed the practice of flogging within the U.S. Navy. The ban had been tacked on to a naval appropriations bill and just barely passed through the Senate with a vote of 26 to 24. It was then signed into law by President Millard Fillmore, marking the official end of one of the Navy's oldest and most brutal traditions. For those blissfully unaware, flogging was a form of severe corporal punishment typically administered aboard seafaring vessels. The offending sailor would be stripped to the waist, tied to the ship's mast or railing, and then whipped across the back with nine cords of tarred, braided hemp, an instrument known as a cat of nine tails. The knots in the cat's tails would rip the flesh from a sailor's back, leaving behind a series of deep lacerations, which could easily become infected and very often did. The only way to prevent this was by rubbing salt into the open wounds, a painful prospect in its own right. Flogging as a means of punishment didn't begin with the United States Navy. It had been employed by navies around the world throughout the so-called Age of Sail. The 300-year period between the mid-16th and mid-19th centuries, when sailing ships were used extensively for travel, trade, and warfare. The practice took root in the American colonies as far back as the Revolutionary War and became commonplace in the new nation's navy during the early 1800s. Some ships averaged about two or three floggings per week, 
but there were also accounts from sailors who claimed to witness at least one flogging every day of their years-long enlistment. In theory, flogging was reserved only for the most serious offenses, but in practice, many captains doled it out far more indiscriminately, for everything from missing curfew to stealing to the vaguely worded neglect of duty. But the infractions that most often resulted in flogging were ones involving alcohol, such as drunkenness, fighting, and smuggling. And since the Navy provided each crew member with a twice-daily ration of diluted whiskey, those kinds of offenses happened pretty often. The floggings themselves were usually carried out by the bosun's mate, a petty officer in charge of deck maintenance and equipment. The number of lashes he would administer was determined by the captain, and although the law restricted floggings to no more than 12 strokes, captains could easily skirt the limit by citing a sailor with multiple offenses and then assigning a dozen lashes for each. That gross abuse of authority made an already barbaric practice even more cruel. Some sailors received 50 to 100 or more lashes in a single session, and several died as a direct result. This grisly form of punishment served a dual purpose, as it was also meant to deter the rest of the crew from disobeying orders. Whenever a flogging was ordered, all the other sailors were required to gather and bear witness. Many naval officers viewed the practice as their only viable means of keeping their men in line. That's because the U.S. Navy was not well-funded at the time, and because of its meager pay and harsh conditions, most of the men who volunteered were desperate and undisciplined. And while their unruly behavior could likely have been corrected through proper training and leadership, floggings were much faster and easier to implement. Confined as it was to naval vessels and merchant ships, the brutality of flogging remained largely unknown to the American public, until two popular books revealed its true horror. The first was Richard Henry Dana Jr.'s 1840 memoir, Two Years Before the Mast. It recounted his voyage from Boston around Cape Horn to the California coast aboard a merchant brig called the Pilgrim. Part of Dana's reason for writing the book was to detail the poor conditions and harsh methods to which common sailors were subjected, with the institution of flogging being among the most egregious. The general public was appalled by Dana's graphic descriptions of the punishment, but it would take another decade and another revealing book, Herman Melville's White Jacket, before flogging would finally be abolished. Another lesser-known work that was instrumental in the practice's downfall was a damning report in 1849 written by a naval officer named Uriah Phillips Levy. In his essay, which he paid to publish himself, Levy argued that punishment by stripes was an ancient practice that should be abandoned in favor of modern alternatives. Levy's views caught the attention of Senator John Hale of New Hampshire, and the following year, he incorporated them into an anti-flogging rider for a naval appropriations bill. Though staunchly opposed by the Navy's old guard, the bill was approved by the Senate on September 28, 1850. The cat had effectively been killed, both in the U.S. Navy and in the Merchant Marine. At first, naval officers simply traded one corporal punishment for another, as things like caning and confinement in irons were still on the table. Five years later, though, Congress sewed up that loophole by establishing the Summary Court Martial, 
a disciplinary proceeding meant to resolve minor offenses without resorting to torture. Another positive step in the Navy's reform came in 1862, when its daily grog ration was abolished. The number of alcohol-related offenses fell dramatically, and as conditions on ships improved, so too did the quality of volunteers. To be clear, though, the U.S. Navy still engaged in physical punishment for decades after flogging was abolished. But by the turn of the 20th century, most of the other forms had been banned as well. The lone exception was the bread-and-water punishment, in which a sailor was confined to the brig for up to three days with nothing but bread and water to sustain them. Although it was more humane than other traditional penalties imposed at sea, the practice was still cruel and woefully outdated. Nonetheless, the U.S. Navy continued to allow bread and water as punishment for minor misconduct all the way up until 2019. The regulation's long-overdue reversal is a reminder that the march of progress is incremental and at times painfully slow. I'm Gabe Lusier, and hopefully you now know a little more about history today than you did yesterday. If you have a second and you're so inclined, consider keeping up with us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. You can find us at TDIHCshow. You can also rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts, or you can get in touch directly by writing to thisday at iheartmedia.com. Thanks to Chandler Mays for producing the show, and thanks to you for listening. I'll see you back here again tomorrow for another day in history class. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. We are the voice of NASCAR. The green flag is in the air, and we are underway. The great American race. The Motor Racing Network. NASCAR Cup, Xfinity, and Craftsman Truck Series Racing. Live on your hometown radio station and MRN or NASCAR.com. Martinsville, Talladega, the Chicago Street Course. We have the side-by-side action, and last lap passes for the win. Photo finishes. Ryan Blaney will win. The voice of NASCAR, the Motor Racing Network work.